I, in my house, I have in a box, and I have this, I've laid eyes on this thing within the past couple of years, an ID card that says Mike Oxley with my picture on it, an old intern card. Now, how did I acquire one of these? I didn't get it on eBay, I didn't get it anywhere else. I, like hundreds, thousands of people, over the years was one of those people who uh, showed up in Washington, D.C. in the mid-80s with this vague idea of wanting to get involved in government, and it was just this vague idea. And as you know, all roads lead to Jim. <laughs> he sort of acts like he has a recollection of this, but he doesn't. I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm just another early Alzheimer's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just another Midwest, you know, young guy in in, uh, in my 20s sitting in front of Jim Councilman, and I want to get involved, and you know, I'm all on it. And uh, he uh, he said, well, I, I don't have any positions here in uh, in Oxley's office, but you can. He said, you need a place to land. So you need a place to get phone calls, and you need a place to to sort of be. So he let me hang out for a while, and then um, uh, went and got a job for delay when he was a freshman, and then ultimately went to work for my predecessor, Henry Hyde. So it's just an interesting thing to me today to reflect on, here's a guy who has done this to hundreds, probably thousands of people, and we've all got our stories, just tons of material, and, um, but, but he, he was really pivotal for me, and, a, and it was a gesture that may not have meant a lot to him, it meant a lot to me. And so I just want to thank you in front of your peers, and I know that I'm not alone. I think we're here in an incredibly interesting season in all of our public life, and serving on the Ways and Means Committee that I'm very partial towards, and um, towards Dave Camp's leadership in particular, let me just give you a word about how the committee is approaching things and how we're trying to take a running start at this. When the gavel flipped and Dave became the chairman, he whistled the whole committee, both sides, into the library. And he, he made a couple of statements. He said, the tax code is a disaster. And everybody around the table said, yeah, it's a disaster. We're the committee of jurisdiction. Everybody looks around and, yeah, we're the committee of jurisdiction. The only way this thing gets fixed is on a bipartisan basis. And what was interesting, every head around that table nodded at that point. Now, while we haven't seen a warm, fuzzy spirit of bipartisanship over the past several months, what's interesting is camp has really taken a running start at this. And there were people at the very beginning of the Congress that said, comprehensive tax reform, that's a complete pipe dream. You're wasting your time. It was kind of a little bit of a grumble campaign. But Dave Camp, to his credit, stuck with it. And his argument was, look, the, the way to ensure that you don't reform the tax code, don't do the work. If you don't do the work, you're never ready, and it's not going to happen. So his attitude was, let's do the work, let's have the hearings, let's build the record, let's build the base, and create an environment so that when all the stars line up, and they will line up, when all the stars line up, the committee's ready. The other component that I think is interesting <coughs> is the committee has really focused in and kind of driven down, and if you had, to, you had to use one word to describe the work, I mean, not one paragraph, not one sentence, not one phrase, 
but one word to describe the work and the vision of where the committee wants to go, it is competitiveness. How do you create the most competitive tax jurisdiction in the world? How do you do that? And that is where the lion's share of the committee's activity has been. And I think if you look, there, there's a perfect storm development, right? A high level of dissatisfaction on the tax code is in its entirety. Nobody's happy with it. There is not a single voice in the public square that can defend it. Nobody. You've got an environment where the, the 01 and the 03 tax cuts are upon us, um, along with, you know, name it, every other, you know, catastrophic issue uh, collapsing down at the end of this year. And so you've got this environment where it's, it's possible to move forward. And I think that there's a, there is a real opportunity on that. And I know I'm talking to a cynical Washington, D.C. crowd, and I completely get the joke on that, but I'm telling you, I think 13 is the year to reform the tax code. And it's, it's not based on, uh, I just think it's based on the inertia of events that is going to prompt this. And here's the other thing. I think the reformation of the tax code is the remedy to really move forward on a bipartisan win. And here's what I mean by that. If you, if you operate on the assumption that both sides want to make and come up with something, which is not true right now, based on what I think how the, how the president is approaching this, but if you operate on the assumption that both sides want to come to a deal and figure this thing out, both sides can walk into that debate and, and claim a win, that's part of the, that is what everybody needs, to so walk into the debate, claim a win with, with, with their constituencies, and walk away, and importantly, let the other side have a victory lap too. Who cares? Let the other guys have a victory lap. So you got guys like me who are conservatives who come into that debate, and I think it's the lion's share of our conference, you know all the buzz phrases, lower the rates, broaden the base, clear off the underbrush. And all the underbrush is you people. <laughs> Which is why you are in very strong uh, positions to, to negotiate with your employers. Good season to be in your spot. Um, the other side can come to that and they say, look, you know, competitiveness, I don't really, you know, that's not really my gig. You know, I'm fairness, I want more money to come in on the federal revenue side. And if you understand the realities of economics, if we do this, if you create a growth agenda, you're going to get more federal revenues coming in, therefore win-win. And I would suggest that there's not a lot of situations that are like that that transform a lot of other areas in our public life. Name one. You know, you've got to change fundamentally your worldview about energy. You've got to change fundamentally your worldview about healthcare. You've got to change fundamentally your worldview about other things. In other words, somebody's got to win and somebody else has to lose. But in taxes, if you approach it the right way, you can come up with a win-win scenario. Now, it's all attitudinal. You've got to choose to win. You've got to choose to let your opponent win in some ways, too, or the person with whom you're negotiating. So I think that's, that's worth fighting for, and that's worth driving for. It doesn't mean laying off in this election. It means making sure that we prevail in this election. This becomes a lot easier if you do a clean sweep, but you still, in terms of a, uh, changing the tax code in ways that are substantive, you know you're not getting to 60 over in the United States Senate. So you're going to have an element of bipartisanship on this. So, so start working at it now.
So that's, that's, that's Ways and Means 101. Let me give you a quick sense of what I think is happening at um, uh, kind of at a leadership level, and maybe these are more just my reflections on things that, that I've learned. What's interesting, as you know, is that everybody at the leadership table is brand new in the responsibility that they have. So I've never been the chief deputy whip, Kevin's never been the whip, Jeff's never been the conference chairman, Eric's never been the leader, John Maynard's never been the speaker before. All right, so in we come, and the first adventure that's upon us is the uh, continuing resolution. What a joy. Um, so we start working the CR, and you know how the old days were, right? Uh, speaker would go into a room, negotiate something, white smoke comes out of the chimney, everybody <laughs> gathers around, great, we're for it, great, let's go, everybody votes aye, and off you go. Uh, let's just say that didn't happen. <laughs> All right, so in terms of the continuing resolution, um, Kevin McCarthy and I made a decision that we're not going to do this that way again. And McCarthy, those of you who know him, the guy's a natural. He really is as good as you think he is. Um, and his gift, in my opinion, is he is a very collaborative person. So Kevin's gift, from a leadership point of view, is getting people together. Get people together. When we came in as freshmen, he was always the fun guy. Hey, let's go to dinner. Where are we going? I don't know. Ask Kevin. You know, he's one of those guys. <laughs> so now he's doing the exact same thing. How are we voting? I don't know. Hey, let's ask Kevin. Uh, so Kevin put people together, and we took a running start at these roll calls. And what, what we figured out was this. If you give good members good information and give them time, you can get to a good result. If you don't include them, if you give them junk, and you tell them you're going to vote on it this, this afternoon, guess what? Any of you have children? You know, a, lot, a lot of kids? What happens when your kids come up to you and say, uh, hey, can I do this? And you say, well, let me think about it. And they say, well, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And you finally reach this point where you say, really? You want an answer right now? You want an answer? Yeah, what's your answer? No. That's my answer. Oh, no, 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 think about it. Think about it. <laughs> All right. So what we figured out, members of Congress, I, they really do operate on the same principle. And that is, hey, think about it a little bit more. You know, think about it. Think about it. And so we had this great exercise, and we began to get some traction internally. And we've had all kinds of adventures, and you've read about them all in the paper. Um, but we... we it had Paul in, Paul Ryan in, to begin to lay the groundwork uh, to pass the budget. Because as you know, budgets by their definition are miserable documents. Nobody, you know, I've done hundreds of parades out in my district. Nobody ever has shouted out to me, Peter, great budget. <laughs> All right, so we're asking members to come together and vote for a budget that's really substantive and is going to really be um, framed the debate for the, for, the, for the next election. It is going to be a budget of consequence. You're not going to pass this just by chucking it on the floor. So Paul comes in, and we do these listening sessions. And here's the interesting thing. Really highly interactive, and I've complimented Paul personally on this, the ability to hear someone's observation or complaint or concern 
to process it, knowing in the back of your head, wow, I've been marinating in this issue for 14 years, and I know this stuff cold. How can I communicate so I'm not putting this person down, but bringing them along, right? And that's, that's a challenge, but he's really good at it. Um, accommodating, working with people, trying to make some changes that make sense. And there were two attitudes that we were able to draw together out of these listening sessions, 20 of these listening sessions. One attitude, a guy raises his hand, a member, and says, um, let me get this right. Now, those of you who don't know group dynamics, the let me get this right guy is never your friend. <laughs> let me get this right. Um, we're going to means test Medicare. Yeah, yeah, man, we're going to means test Medicare. And I was going to, he goes up like this to the whole group. He goes, I've really enjoyed my short time in Congress. It's really <laughs> fantastic serving with you all. I'm gone if I, if I vote to means test Medicare. And then I was part of the WIPS organization. I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm keeping it in the undecided column. <laughs> Other members said, uh, and you can imagine this. Other members said, hey, wait a minute. Is this balance next year? <laughs> Go back to the third slide, man. Go back to the third slide. 10,000 people every 24 hours are coming into Medicare. 10,000 people every 24 hours are coming into Social Security. Sparky, you don't, you don't No, is the answer. You don't want to go where budget is tomorrow, where this balance is tomorrow. Okay, you know, and so, but over a period of time, you, you get sort of this cumulative deal. And so we were internally, we knew that we could run the score up on this, on this budget. And I would submit to you that there is going to come a day in the future when all of us are going to be doing something else. We're all going to be doing something else. I'm not going to be in Congress anymore. You're not going to be having breakfast full feathers anymore. But we will all be reflecting on this few bit of years that we're in right now. And we're in the midst of this. And we, it's, it's really an open question as to whether our country makes the decision to, to lean into our problem and figure it out and come up with a remedy that makes sense and gives us a glide path onto a, 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 a prosperous landing, or if we as a country completely screw it up. And it's hard to see any other alternative. We're either going to lay a foundation where we're, we're building upon prosperity, or we manage our decline, essentially. And what heartens me about the new members that have come the new members that have come have basically come here to do something and not to be somebody. And there is a freshness to that. You can't bottle that. You can't recruit that. That bubbles up within itself. And these members, by and large, were provoked into running for Congress based on what they saw the President and Speaker Pelosi and Harry Reid turning this whole thing into a goat rodeo. And they said, you know what? I am off of my tail. I am going to make a race for Congress. And many of them ran in races, as you know, they had no business running in. And now, all of a sudden, they're members of Congress. And I'll tell you what, they're doing a good job. They're taking in a, a lot of information in a very short period of time. The media wants to portray these people 
as limited gene pool, date your sister, banjo playing, whatever. <laughs> These people are wildly successful in other walks of life. And what they've done is they've come in here and they're learning and they're figuring it out. They're being proactive. They're participating and they're making some changes. Before they came, the entire operating assumption of this town was how much money can we spend? You know, plus it up, plus it up, plus it up. There's no end, just plus it up. They come into town, and while they haven't enjoyed the success that they wanted based on the complications on the battlefield, and there's a lot more to it than, than meets the eye, but when they come in here, they have fundamentally reframed the debate. And that is a big victory. So I think what's going to happen I think we're going to end. I think we're going to end well. I think our country is going to figure this out. I think we're going to be on a glad, glide path that creates an opportunity society again, where capital is easy to form. I mean, the, the entire economy that we all grew up in had one operating assumption that we never even articulated. It was just an assumption, and the assumption that we have completely been immersed in is this: work hard, keep your nose clean make more good decisions than bad decisions, and come up with a great idea, you have a shot at making something. Something big, something great, something transformational. You've got a shot at doing it. We're not some stratified society where, you know, you've got a whole class of people that are basically pressing their nose up against the glass, looking in, trying to participate. No, this is America. And I think that these are values that are really worth articulating, <coughs> and are worth defending, and I for one, and I know I'm joined by everybody in this room, I refuse to be defensive about a value system that has created more prosperity and more freedom for more people than the world has ever known. That's worth fighting for. That's worth getting up every day and saying, you know what, I'm in that fight, put me on the field. So my attitude is this. If this job ever turns into issuing press releases and walking in parades and being called congressman, hey, give it to somebody else. But as long as we're fighting for those core values and we're making a change and you're making a, a, a difference on the long-term trend of this country, then I'm in this thing. Why, win or lose, I'm in this thing. And wild horses couldn't pull me out of this arena. 